This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Killar jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. My name is Elon Dubrovsky. I'm the host of the show, and with me is the very valuable co-host Brian Com. Aren't we both co-hosts? I thought I was the host, and you're like the co-host. I don't think there can only be one co-host. I think the definition of a co-host is that there's more than one. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well, you could come up with your own title, but I'm the one who like introduces the segments and like transitions things. Anyway, Brian, we don't have time for this. We've got a big show today. We have so many players to talk about. Lots of injuries, lots of outjuries, lots of line shuffling. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's just mention before we get started that this show is presented by DailyFaceOff.com and we're going to be using this site a lot during this episode because whenever there's an injury or an outjury or line shuffling, you have to look and see what are the new lines. So DailyFaceOff.com is a big help for that. You can see these line combos, even strength, power play, whatever you need, starting goalies every day, just general fantasy news. Go to dailyfaceoff.com. You'll see everything you need. And they also have this podcast about fantasy hockey on their website called Keeping Carlson. I I usually go to them for that, too. All right. I see what you did there. Brian, let's get to the headlines of the week. Let's start with some injuries. Big news from yesterday. Sad news for the Detroit Red Wings. Jimmy Howard went down. Didn't look good. Got carted off on a stretcher. So if you're a Jimmy Howard owner, I hope that you had the opportunity to pick up the backup, Peter Mrazek, because it's looking like he's going to get a long stretch of games. There's, of course, Jonas Gustafsson in the IR, I guess, looming. He might come back at some point. So, Brian, at this point, we don't really know what's going on with Howard. But let's say, assuming he's out long term, what does this mean for Mrazek's value? And also, what do you think is going to happen if and when Gustafsson comes back? Let's not skip too far ahead. We don't know what's happening with Howard yet. Latest I've heard is that it's a groin injury. And I don't know, I guess for goalies, those, those can last a little while or at least recur if they're not treated properly the first time. It's only been like 12 hours as of this recording since Howard got injured. So it might be too early to say that somebody is going to get a long stretch of games. But if somebody does, I think that somebody should be Peter Mrazek. I think Jonas Gustafsson, uh, well, he's injured right now. And we don't know. The last update I can find says that he'll be back in two or three weeks. But that was two weeks ago already. And there's been no word since. 
I've tried to find anything reliable since. I, I haven't really been able to. So that tells me that maybe Gustafsson isn't quite ready. Morazic is the guy that you want to add if you want to get starts. And I also think he's the guy that the Red Wings might want to play a little bit more to get experience. He's not markedly worse than Gustafsson. And Gustafsson, you know, has had an NHL career to establish himself. Mind you, he spent three years getting shelled in Toronto, but his career save percentage is 901, which isn't so fantastic. Mrazek has a small sample size, and we actually talked about him earlier in the season, but over 20 appearances in his career, he's got a 921 save percentage. I don't think that's where he lands, like, as a career mark over a lot more games, over bigger sample size, but I don't know, the early indications seem to be that maybe, maybe he's probably a little bit better than Jonas Gustafsson. A lot of goalies at the NHL level are, quite frankly, so he's the guy I'd want to ride if I'm behind the bench in Detroit. I'm not, though. I'm just a fantasy hockey owner, so I guess maybe if you can stash Gustafsson away and then wait to see what happens, and then grab Mrazek in the meantime, that's your best course of action. And just keep an eye on Howard, especially in leagues with limited moves. I thought it strange that he was taken off on a stretcher from a groin injury. I don't know if I've noticed that happening before. So I guess there's still so much to shake out here, and and we're trying to take our best stab at it, because it's probably the biggest story at this moment of recording. But common sense strategy, I think, generally applies here. You're going to want to grab the backup of the guy who got injured, and perhaps the third stringer too, depending on where they fit in the depth chart with their own injuries and circumstances. So I guess the underlying assumption here is that you do think it's good to own a Detroit goalie, and you want to have one of those goalies if you have the opportunity. Because a lot of people have goalies on their rosters that might be really struggling right now. You know, these Kemper owners or maybe a Jonas Hiller owner. You know, I'm sure we could come up with some other goalies, but would you drop one of these struggling guys to pick up Morazic if you had to choose? It depends, frankly, on how reliant I am on those guys. If they're my number one or even number two goalie, I'm probably not going to pick up Morazic or drop them for Morazic until I understand how long Howard is out for. But Elon, we know that Kemper is already on IR, so that adds another little wrinkle to it. But I think what you boiled it down to, which I was trying to say the whole time, was that, yeah, it's good to own a Detroit Goldie right now. Their score-adjusted Corsi is third best in the league over the entire season, behind only Tampa Bay and Chicago. And that means that they're playing pretty sound hockey right now. In fact, very sound hockey. It doesn't mean that maybe... The Detroit goalie doesn't face difficult shots, but it means that generally the Detroit goalie isn't getting peppered and just assaulted by the other team. So yes, I would like to own the Red Wings goalie right now and keep an eye out for who that'll be. Don't do anything really rash, though. We'll talk about him later in the show. Jonathan Quick is struggling. Please don't drop him for Peter Morazic. All right, for now, though, let's stick with Detroit because they have other injury news. Johan Franzen was put on the IR last week. We're not sure when he'll be back. Probably not a long-term thing, but it is an interesting opportunity to take a look at what's happening in the Detroit top six. And a couple of names there that are kind of interesting to me are Justin Abdelkader, who finds himself on the first line with Zetterberg and Nyquist, and Darren Helm playing with Datsuk and Tatar. So, Brian, maybe Abdelkader, it's too late for him. Like, he was good earlier in the year, and I think a lot of people picked him up. And he's doing really well. He's got eight points in his last 11 games. Though I remember the last time we talked about Abdelkader, you weren't so sure if he was the kind of guy you want to have on your team as someone you could rely on to put up points like this. Has your opinion changed about him? And also, what do you think about Darren Helm? I'm actually going to say the same thing about both of them, which is they have fantastic line mates. 
And also, they're both tied for second in even strength points scored this season amongst regular Red Wings forwards. In fact, Applicator specifically, he's got 15 points at 5-on-5 in 35 games played this year. That's exactly as many as Helm and Thomas Tatar have in seven more games played. Zetterberg has just one more point than Applicator at even strength this season in seven more games played as well. He's ahead of Nyquist, he's ahead of Riley Sheehan, and I know I advised earlier in the year that you might want to stay away from him because his percentages were really high and actually he did fall off. He had nine points in 10 games in October and then followed that up with nine points in his next 21 games through November and December. But Elon, you said he's back right now with five points in four games in January so far and actually you used a different time frame that might have been more accurate. But if you want to see the effects of shooting percentage on a player's production, just go ahead and look at Ablocator's split stats. You can see his percentage bounce up and down, up and down, and his numbers go accordingly. He's not a much better or worse player from month to month, or when the pucks are going in more, he's not shooting better than he does when they're not going in more. This is a really good example of how luck kind of does play a part, because Applicator is not morphing into a different guy from week to week or month to month. So then what do you think Applicator lands at? What type of player is he in terms of how many points do you think if he played a full season, what would you peg him for at this point? Well, his career high was 28 points in 70 games played, and that came last year, and he was shooting at half the success rate that he is this year. And it's hard to tell because actually his career shooting rate is a lot closer to last year's number than this year. He's like doubling what he should be according to, you know, 330 games of NHL history. So I suppose he's only five points away from his career high with 40 games to go. I think he's got a pretty good shot at matching or beating his career high. I would expect him to land at 40 or 45. I think 50 would be really optimistic. And I guess the other player affected by Franzen's injury is Timu Pulkanen, who was pulled up from the minors. He played yesterday and actually had a decent amount of ice time, 16 minutes and 21 seconds. He didn't get any points, but he did have three shots on goal and played on the power play. Brian, do you know anything about this Polkanen guy? Is he someone people should be grabbing right now for the short term? Well, he was drafted in the fourth round in 2010, 111th overall, which like I feel like that's, well, any round is the Red Wing sweet spot. I was going to say anywhere between like the fourth and seventh round they seem to find guys, but they do well in the first and second round too. The thing with Detroit prospects, and it's one of, I think, our most recited facts on the show, is that they have to wait till they're like 23, 24, 25 even to get a real sustained shot at the NHL. And Polkanen, he's on his way. He just turned 22 this year, so still a little young for the Red Wings organization. But when they do decide to bring him up with the big club full-time, there are promising signs. He led their AHL affiliate in Grand Rapids in goal scoring last season. He had 31 goals and 28 assists for 59 points in 71 games last year. And this year, he's got more than a point per game in Grand Rapids doing better than he was last year. He's got 39 points in 33 games, has already hit the 20 goal mark, and has been putting up shots in the minors too. So there's a lot of promising signs from Timo Polkanen. I don't expect anything to happen this year. Maybe like halfway through next year, if you're wondering like why, 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 just remember how slowly Thomas Tatar came on and how slowly Gustav Nyquist, well, came on at the start anyway. And now Jerko, I think, is going through the same process. 
Polkinen is also going to be like, is he or isn't he for a little bit longer? And then, well, ideally, he'll be there. And then the last injury I wanted to mention, this isn't a long-term one, but just sort of a next week heads up. Steve Mason is injured. You know, I feel like this is kind of a rerun. I definitely recall we had another episode where we talked about Howard and Mason being injured and then talking about Morazic and Ray Emery, the backup on Philadelphia. But Mason is injured again. It's not looking like it'll be long-term, but Philadelphia does play four games next week. So, Brian, would you suggest, let's say if someone wanted to pick up a goalie for next week, do they pick up Ray Emery? Also, Rob Zepp will be called up, or do you feel the same as last time that Emery will probably just blow up your goalie stats? Yeah, same as last time. There was a really good article posted by Travis Yost over at tsn.ca maybe a couple weeks ago now, or definitely within the last couple weeks, about the Flyers and how Claude Giroux is like an elite talent surrounded by like an average or probably below average team in part of that post and the discussion afterwards focused on how much money the Flyers are spending on defense and how poorly they've spent that money. Andrew McDonald just signed that huge contract last year. He's in the press box many nights. I mean, you look down the list, you've got McDonald, Grossman, Del Zotto, Luke Shen, Nick Schultz. None of these guys are really known for their defensive acumen. Mark Streit is their top D-man also really well. He's he's okay. He produces offensively. Coburn, uh, you know. But the bottom line is that none of these guys are going to protect any average goalie from getting shelled on a nightly basis. The Flyers are going to have to depend on their goal scoring to win games, not their goal suppression. And that's bad news for anybody in the Flyers. And we've talked about how Mason has coped with that this year way better than we thought he would. But I'm much more confident in saying that Emery or Rob Zepp really doesn't have much of a shot. You know, one thing that I feel like you need to address, though, is that you just said that Giroux is the only good player on the team and everyone else is average. Are you forgetting one of the league leaders in points, Jacob Voracek? Okay, no, no, no. I didn't. I thought I chose my words carefully enough to say that he is an elite talent surrounded by a mostly average or below average team. I know they still have Simmons and they still have Voracek. And do you know how much I love Voracek? I would never short sell Voracek, but when you go below those two on the depth chart it's like I see Sean Couturier and I guess Braden Shen too but there's there's not a whole lot there and the article also mentioned how they've been trading away good pieces like Scott Hartnell for less worthwhile pieces like RJ Umberger I don't really know what Philly's doing this article illustrated it well and it also illustrated my concerns for the team's play in general and for the goalie that they're playing for right yeah bottom line is stick with Jeru and Voracek if you have them but maybe don't rush to pick up Ray Emery now that Mason is injured. All right, enough of this sad news. Let's go to outjuries, the other side of things. Some players go down, but other players finally come back. One name that came back recently is Joe Thornton on the San Jose Sharks. He was injured for four games, and in his absence, there was a player who sort of emerged on San Jose. He made it to the top six, and he was doing well, and we were especially excited for him because of his name, Melker Carlson was playing in the top six and doing great. In fact, Carlson has five goals in his last five games. He's got a goal per game. And the crazy thing is with Joe Thornton back, Carlson didn't get bumped back down to the bottom six. He's still playing with great players. Last night when the Sharks lost to the Rangers, Carlson was on the first line with Couture and Pavelski. And then the second line was Joe Thornton with Marlowe and Matthew Nieto. So A, 
that means Melker Carlson might actually be someone that we don't just tweet about in jest as the other Carlson. He might actually be a legit person you might want to have on your team. Also note that Tommy Wingles was playing on the third line, so maybe his value has dropped, and maybe Melker Carlson has become the new hot young guy on San Jose. So Brian, finally, let's talk about Melker Carlson. Elon, I've been waiting for you to say those words my whole life. Melker Carlson with a goal in each of his last five games. That gives him six goals and four assists for 10 points on the season in the 14 games that he's played, which is a great number. But the number that concerns me most is his goals, which are six, and his shots on goal, which are 23. If you divide six by 23 and multiply it by 100, you get a shooting percentage, which is 26.1%. And Elon, say it with me, that is... Unsustainable. Unsustainable. (laughs) Good, good. That worked out on the first try. Yeah, it's not going to last. And it's a promising sign that he's still up there when Thornton came back. And maybe they're going to let things play out sort of naturally, I suppose. And let the aggression happen to Carlson before moving him off those top two lines. I don't think he lasts there for a whole lot longer. But there are a lot of moving parts on the Sharks' depth chart especially in those two forward spots that seem to be available inside their top six. Barclay Goudreau got taken out of that when Thornton came back, and probably Carlson's next. There's also Wingles, Hurdle, and Nieto jockeying for position in there. I like Hurdle and Wingles' chances the most of seeing the most opportunity for the rest of the season, but keep in mind Nieto was up there last night as well. And one last thing about the Sharks, one guy who is a fixture in that top six but maybe is becoming concerning to some people is Patrick Marlowe. Did you know he only has one assist in his last 12 games? Do you think this is just a slump for the aging superstar Marlowe, or is he becoming potentially a snoozer in some, you know, more shallow leagues? He still has 27 shots in the last 10 games, and as you know, Elon, he's playing about 20 minutes a game most nights. He's fine. Don't worry about it. It sucks. Yeah, if you own him, it's no fun, but he's going to snap out of it. What's happening right now isn't sustainable. He will regress in a positive fashion. Now let's head over to the outjuries on Winnipeg. I remember we had an episode a while back where we talked about, oh my goodness, Winnipeg has so many injuries. But now finally, these guys are coming back. Yesterday, Evander Kane and Tobias Enstrom came back to play after, at least for Enstrom, a pretty long time off. The game before that, Zach Bogosian came back. So all of a sudden, Winnipeg is having kind of a different look. So let's take a look at the depth chart in Winnipeg. Not much is changing on the top two lines. We still have Lad Little Wheeler and then Perot Shifley Frolik. Kane last night slotted back in on the third line. And then on the power play, and again, at least for last night, Matthew Perot actually stayed on the top power play. Evander Kane slotted in on the second power play. Tobias Enstrom played on the second power play. Bogosian hardly any power play time, though he did score a goal. So, Brian. Any thoughts? I guess let's focus on the defense here. Enstrom and Bogosian back. Are these guys people you want to grab now that they're back and playing on the Winnipeg D? I'm going to say that neither one of those guys is valuable. And that was the case before they were out of the lineup. They weren't producing a lot. I know, Elon, you and I had huge hopes for Enstrom last year. And even I still did at the beginning of the season. But I'm kind of past that. He's not going to be the offensive defenseman that he used to be. In fact, he's quite a good defensive defenseman. And so is Zach Bogosian. And that's their profile. I'm not counting on them to produce fantasy points for me, at least in an offensive way. 
especially now that they have probably been bumped down the offensively inclined depth chart in Winnipeg by Bufflin's return to defense, which wasn't the case when they were in the lineup before. Now Bufflin has been moved back to the blue line. It looks like he's going to stay there because, well, he is an awesome defenseman. He's much better as a first-bearing defenseman than he is as a third-line forward. It looks like the Jets were forced to realize that and looks like they're going to continue to acknowledge that. By the way, Paul Maurice sets his lineup for the rest of the year. Let's hope so anyway. But long story short, Elon, no, I really, I don't see much value at all, actually, on the Jets' blue line, aside from Dustin Bufflin. Wow, you know, yeah, I guess I am kind of surprised to hear you say that. You know, Enstrom yesterday played 25 minutes, had an assist, but, you know, I guess that's just one game. He in the past, you know, was a half a point per game defenseman, which is very valuable. And last season, I remember he was really weak for most of the year, then picked it up at the end. But I guess, yeah, the big thing you're saying is that now that Bufflin is on the D, that means that there's no room for Enstrom on that top power play. Though they do kind of have two pretty even power plays in terms of how much ice time they both get. So Enstrom will still get some power play time. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic than you. I still think that Enstrom, maybe not a half point per game player, but, you know, maybe he could be like a 35 point defenseman as his total pace but uh, yeah I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens sure I wouldn't rule that out I think he could probably hit 30 or 35 in a full 82 games it's just I'm trying to decrease expectations from those couple seasons where he hit 50 points that's not about to happen again anytime soon and just to quickly note like I said Evander Kane did come back no points yesterday but five shots on goal So you might want to put him back into your lineup if you had him on your IR and if he's a free agent in your league. You know, we've talked about before how he's been disappointing, but he still is putting up these shots. So you would think eventually some are going to go in. I think he'd be a viable add and shouldn't be a free agent in most leagues. I agree. Now let's go to Calgary and Mikhail Backlund is finally back from his injury. He played for 11 games this season and wasn't doing very much before he got injured. But now, in three games since his return, he has three goals and two assists. This guy is on fire, Brian. So if Mikhail Backlund is in people's free agent pools, should they be rushing to grab him if they still have the chance? Or is he more of a Melker Carlson where you don't see it lasting? I'm going to start by saying he's definitely not like Melker Carlson. He's an established NHL forward. And actually, he's really liked by Flames fans and stats guys because he's been somebody on a terrible Flames team over the last two years who's been able to keep his head above water in terms of possession. He's been on the ice in difficult situations with a weak supporting cast with maybe like a a poor system also that seems to be failing in general, failing everybody else on the roster except him. Amongst forwards who have played more than 400 minutes for the Flames since the beginning of last season, it's only him and Michael Camilleri who are in the positive possession numbers while they're on the ice. But Elon, I know you don't care so much for their possession. You want to know more about their production. And yes, Bachland has five points in his last three games since returning from injury, and that's really exciting. That gives him nine points in 14 games played this season. Last year, he was able to manage 39 points in 76 games played. I don't know. I think I kind of still reasonably expect that same kind of pace. What a lot of people really like about Backlund is that he was a really good prospect. Like, he was picked in the first round in 2007, and what he's matured into is, like, a fairly defensively responsible player who can chip in points when they're needed. I don't know where his ceiling is yet. I'd like to think it's at least 50 points. He's missed time, so he's not going to hit that this season, but perhaps he'll put on a pace that is somewhere around there. We need more time to see where he fares with this Flames team because I feel like there's a different feeling 
around it this year than there is last year. Some different dynamics going on. So let's wait and see for the next 10 games. But I wouldn't hesitate in a deep league to add him to my roster. Definitely should be on your watch list by now. And yeah, I think a couple other great things about Backlund are that while you were concerned about Carlson scoring a goal in every game but not taking many shots... Backlund, and again, obviously it's not sustainable that he's going to get a goal in every game himself, but at least he is taking lots of shots, four, three, and four in his last three games. Also, Backlund is playing on Calgary's power play. He played in more than 50% of the power play in the last game, so we'll see how that shakes out, but he definitely is in a position where he could put up points if he has the capabilities. And next, I want to repeat a segment that we did last week, talking about Line shuffling that's led to new people going on their team's top lines. There's a few interesting players here, and I think maybe the first and most interesting one is David Pasternak on Boston. He's all of a sudden coming out of nowhere, or at least to non-Bruins fans, to be playing with Krejci and Marshawn on that top line. He's also getting time on the top power play with those two guys. And yesterday he scored two goals in Boston's win over Philadelphia. So, Brian, is this David Pasternak for real? I mean, coming out of nowhere to play on the top line and now finally to start producing, was yesterday's game a mirage or a sign of things to come? Well, perhaps they're a sign of things to come. I just don't know if they're going to come this year. It's very exciting. And and he has been doing pretty well so far. These are the first seven pro games of his career, and he's put 20 shots on goal which is really nice and encouraging. Let's give a little bit of background first. He was Boston's first overall pick in the most recent entry draft. That was 25th overall. He played in Sweden for a couple years before coming over and playing his first pro season here in North America, where he's got 27 points in 24 games so far with the Providence Bruins of the AHL. Hockey Prospectus has him ranked 44th in their list of top 100 NHL prospects that they published before the start of the season. And his play in the World Juniors would also maybe suggest that he deserves that. In five games, he was able to score a goal and six assists that put him 14th in tournament scoring. And I don't know, if you put all that together, it seems like you've got a decent prospect on your hands. I know Boston fans are crazy about the guy. Every time that he plays, people get excited. I still remember, like... Two games into the season, someone tweeted about, like, some ridiculous shooting stat or that he was so much better than the rest of the Bruins roster in one statistical aspect, but he had played, like, for, like, 35 total minutes, and they were, like, losing it about it. And I said, hold on, calm down, and they actually, I think, got a little angry at me in response. But I can't blame the Bruins for being protective of this guy. He's a good scoring prospect in a system that needs them pretty badly, especially with what's happening on defense this year in Boston. And now they're coming to realize that some of the players they've traded away, maybe they should have kept in the end. So Pasternak, they're not going to let go of this guy. It's just a matter of how soon they give him free reign in the NHL. And Elon, his contract situation might have something to do with that, huh? Right. Well, yeah, the one big concern about going all in on Pasternak right now is even if you think he has the capabilities of putting up great points this season, he's in an entry-level contract. So after 10 games, the Bruins would have to decide whether to keep him or not. So we still don't know if he's even going to stay on the big team. But if he does, and he stays on the first line, obviously then he's someone worth taking. But don't drop someone great for him just to find out that he goes to the minors in a couple of weeks. And actually, a quick correction. In the last game, he played on the top power play, not with Brad Marchand, but Milan Lucic, 
who we had been receiving some tweets recently asking if Lucic is a snoozer, if they should drop Lucic. Actually, one of the questions about should they pick up Evander Kane was should I drop Lucic for Kane? And I actually think it's an interesting question because those guys are maybe about even. Of course, recently those have died down since Lucic has four points in his last three games. Overall on the season, though, you know, not too great. Eight goals and 14 assists for 22 points in 42 games. So that's barely over a half point per game. Lucic has consistently been a 60-point guy for the past few seasons. Brian, do you think that's still where he's at? Or do you think it's time to reduce expectations for Milan Lucic? I've never loved Lucic in fantasy hockey like a lot of other people have. And perhaps that's because I'm generally not in leagues that count penalty minutes or hits. So I understand his value there. But if you're looking for scoring from him, look elsewhere. I think there are several guys right now who are probably a little more exciting than him. He's having a rough season. We talked about the Bruins' offensive problems. He's been a part of them. And there's nothing, like, really off with any of his underlying numbers in terms of production, so I'm really not that high on him. I think I'd be surprised, especially with the time lost so far this season, if he suddenly perks up and scores another 35 points in the next 40 games. I would expect his second half to kind of mirror... His first half, I know a lot of people put a lot of stock into the owner talk to the team and suddenly Lucic was a new player and he scored two multi-point games in a row. I'm not a big believer in that, especially over a long period of time. I don't have high hopes for Milan Lucic this season, but again, as I said right at the beginning of this little spiel, I generally don't have high hopes for Lucic in fantasy hockey. Well, Brian, I must say, if you generally don't have high hopes for Lucic, then does that mean you're generally... Wrong? Yeah wrong about him because like I mentioned if you go back to 2010-2011 he had 62 points in 79 games and 61 points then he had a year where he was injured then after that 59 points last season so he has like I said been a consistent 60 point guy and when you mention his numbers you know I've learned from the best and I'm taking a look and his career shooting percentage is 14.7 and this season he's only shooting at 11.6 so that is a dip so maybe he is having some bad luck I don't know. I agree with you that he's not going to get up to 60 points this year because that would mean he'd have to put up a higher than 60 point pace for the rest of the year. But I don't know. He's still getting opportunities, still on the top power play. I don't see why he can't go back to how he was before. I think the shooting percentage little dip. I mean, okay, so you can credit him with another like goal or two. It's not a big difference in what we'd expect. And as for his value as a 60 point guy, yeah, he is. But I feel like in a lot of drafts, he's taken earlier than he should be in in front of players with more offensive upside because of those hits and penalty minutes, even in leagues that don't count them. People just have this inflated view, I think. So yes, he's been a 60-point player. That's great. But I think he's drafted sometimes around the same time as like 65 and 70-point players. So maybe that that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, well, that makes sense. There's never been any indication that Lucic should be anything more than considered a 60-point guy. And a guy who used to be maybe considered a 60-point guy, but definitely not anymore, is Dustin Brown, who we've talked about earlier in the season as someone who's really fallen off from the fantasy producer that he once was. But LA has done some line shuffling, and Brown finds himself on the top line currently, playing with Andrzej Kopitar and Marion Gaborik. Not bad line mates, and it has helped. He's got four points in his last four games. Brian, do you think that Dustin Brown now becomes someone that people should add? He's always been useful in terms of some peripherals like hits, but if he stays on the top line, I'd imagine he has value while he's there. Sure, while he's there, but Elon, he still has... 16 points on the season in 41 games, and I don't think he's about to make a long-term shift 
in what he's been able to put up so far. And he had 27 points last year in 79 games. He kind of still gets by on his reputation from like 2006 through 2012, which is like, yeah, it's a long time, but he's dropped off a lot in the last two, two and a half seasons. He's not the valuable guy that he once was Right now, he's up there. I'm not getting too excited about it, though. Okay, Brian, I really hope I'm going to be able to say a name here that you're going to like. I, I'm i going to keep trying. But okay, but quickly on LA, by the way, I should mention, since we're talking about the team, a couple of injuries from yesterday, Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli, both out. Pearson with potentially a broken leg, and Tyler Toffoli has the kissing disease, mono. So it seems like both of those guys will be out for a while. Not that they were so fantasy relevant anymore. We already have talked about both of them as snoozers previously, but just an FYI. Okay, Brian, how about this guy who's now on the top line? I'm actually pretty sure you're going to poo-poo him, and for good reason. But we talked recently about Colton Sevier playing on the top line in Dallas. Well, that didn't last. And the new guy playing with Sagan and Ben is... Brett Ritchie. I'm sure everyone guessed that name, right? The guy who's often there on Dallas. Or wait a minute, who is this guy, Brett Ritchie? He's got four points in six games this season since he's been called up. And like I said, playing on the top line yesterday, he scored a goal and had five shots on goal. Is this another Pasternak? (laughs) Should we be watching out for Brett Ritchie? He's actually been one of Dallas's top prospects over recent years. He was drafted in 2011 in the second round, 44th overall. We're we're naming a lot of draft picks coming onto the scene so far this show. Over the last two years and a little bit in the AHL's Texas Stars, he has 70 points in 90 games, so not too shabby. And of course, anybody who jumps onto that line with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn is going to do just fine, and he's been able to do the same. He's kind of like a power forward type. I think he's going to make his living by getting up towards the net and, you know, pounding in rebounds or causing traffic in front. But I'm going to say the same thing about him this week as we did about Colton Sevier last week. And that is that he's great until he's off the line. And Elon, that's already happened with Colton Sevier, right? Well, yeah, now that Richie's taken his spot. And yeah, since last week, he even got scratched in one game. So Colton Sevier definitely took a bump. And the same thing could happen to Brett Richie. Richie, it could happen to you. So if you're a, a fantasy player, which I assume you are since you're listening to this podcast, hey, go ahead and grab Brett Richie if you have room. But watch Daily Face Off every day as they show the practice lines, because it could happen that Richie will just get scratched and Sevier will be back, or Eakin will be there, or maybe Jason Spezza will be there. And actually, that leads me to the other players on Dallas that I wanted to talk about. Little Tlusty over on Reddit asked us, please discuss Jason Spezza next week. I'm confused about what's going on there. And I guess a lot of people are. Is Jason Spezza a superstar or is he a nobody? Let's give a little shout out, Elon, to reddit.com slash r slash fantasy hockey. Back where we first started promoting the show, we've had a lot of people stick with us from the start there and give us a lot of helpful feedback. So hey to everybody listening from our fantasy hockey. Jason Spezza. Yeah, his first year in Dallas was supposed to be so exciting. He had that whirlwind scoring romance with Alatemsky at the end of last year in Ottawa, and then they both eloped together to play for a Stars team that was in the process of redefining itself. It hasn't gone terribly for Spezza, but it definitely hasn't gone according to plan. He's got 7 goals and 22 assists for 29 points in 41 games, which is pretty good. There have definitely been more disappointing players so far this year, and 
The thing that concerns me about it, though, is he's produced so well alongside Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. That's where a lot of those even strength points have come from. But then again, Colton Sevier and Cody Eakin, Elon, like you just said, and now Brett Ritchie, can also produce really well alongside Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. So it's not really like a check in his column to be able to say that he could do that. I'm not saying he's quite like those other guys that have been filling in on the top line, but it's worth noting that his even-strength scoring so far this year has been pretty poor. For example, Sean Horkoff has a better points-per-60 rate at 5-on-5, and Spets' points-per-60 rate is the same as Alex Hemsky's, and we've all got our minds made up about him, right? Like, we've all essentially written him off for the season at this point. And maybe his career. Oh man, I, I don't want that to be true. I really don't. So, for Spezza, though, this is where I try and tell you what's going on with him. But the truth is, I don't see anything really special happening in his numbers. You know, perhaps he's simply a really good 31-year-old hockey player who's hit his peak and isn't playing with game breakers. I mean, he's known as a setup guy, but he has no one to set up right now between Eric Cole and Alex Hemsky. Yeah, and Sean Horkoff, we played with last game. You know, at least Spezza's got a little spark going right now. Three points in his last four games. For Spezza owners, you know, hopefully he could ride that into something. But I agree with you, Brian. I think at this point, maybe a 60-point pace for the rest of the year. I think that would be optimistic. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm being too hard on him, but I wouldn't want Spezza in my league, to tell you the truth. But Elon, you would want Claude Giroux on your team, and actually he has the same points per 60 rate at even strength as Jason Spezza. But of course the difference is that, well, one, Giroux plays more, and two, he's an absolute beast on the power play. So if you do have Spezza, there's not a whole lot that you can do about it except hope for continued power play reduction and maybe for him to start stepping it up at even strength. Although we talked about the situation, it's not quite ideal for a passer like he is. So hope for more power play points from Jason Spezza. That's where he's going to help you for the rest of the season, hopefully. And I had actually penned in to talk about Pat Maroon next on the top line in Anaheim, back playing with Getzlaff and Perry. But then I looked at yesterday's games and already he wasn't there. It was Renee Bork playing on the top line. So let's just say a blanket in general. Don't jump on an Anaheim player playing on the first line. They're clearly bouncing around trying to figure out someone to work there. And we've already spent too much time talking about it. Okay, so let's just move on. The next thing I want to talk about, I guess kind of a significant headline, especially in a deeper league, Red O'Bara was sent down to the minors on Colorado, and they've called up Calvin Pickard, who, you know, had that great stretch when Varlamov was injured, and now Pickard is back up. That actually concerns me a bit as a... Varlamov owner because I was enjoying Varlamov playing every single game since Patrick Waugh hates Red Obera. But now I guess Pickard's going to get some time. He's already been slated to be playing on Tuesday when the Avs play Carolina. So, Brian, should I be concerned or is Pickard going to be a minor guy that doesn't play much just like Bera was? Or do you think he's worth grabbing? What are your thoughts now on this new development in the Colorado crease? Well, Calvin Picard... Elon has looked pretty good (laughs) so far this season. It's his first year, right? He's got a 934 save percentage, though. That's pretty strong. Actually, that's an understatement, especially when you compare it to Barra's 882 save percentage so far this year. It looks like Barra was sent down for a conditioning stint to Lake Erie. I don't think this will last beyond that stint just for contractual reasons. Even though I think the Avs might really prefer to have Picard in the backup spot, 
they're not going to do it just yet. Although if Picard does play really well while he's in there spelling for Bera, he could force the Avs to make a difficult decision. I wish I had Cap Geek right now to give you the specifics on contracts. Cap Geek, we miss you so much. Yeah, well, the good thing, at least for Varlamov owners, is he's definitely been a bright spot since he's come back. He had, in the past week, a shutout against Chicago, a 54-save shutout, which on one hand is very good, but also maybe a bit concerning that you have a goalie that's on a team that's letting in 54 shots, though it was against the Blackhawks. Then after that, you know, two more wins against Ottawa with a 947-save percentage and Dallas with a 925. Brian, I know you're not too high on Varlamov. I assume it's more to do with the team than the goalie himself. But, I mean, this guy has been great. I think he deserves some credit. And I really hope that Picard does not uh, steal his spot at all. That won't happen. You don't have to worry about that. When the move was first made, and before I understood the context of it, I thought, oh, maybe Varlamov tweaked something again. Or maybe they're bringing up somebody who they feel more confident backing up so that Varlamov can take a little more rest. Because I think the Avs are probably still hoping for a playoff spot. And that's probably fairly unreasonable at this point with the way the competition is shaping up in the West. I'm not down on Varlamov, Elon, you're right. I'm down on the Avs. And you know how much I talk about the importance of a team and their influence on a goaltender's fantasy stats. Right, yeah. Well, you know, for fun, if you could think of a goalie that you think is somewhat comparable, I'd like to have another Pavelski stasty like bet. Because I still, I don't know, I have this gut feeling that Varlamov is going to do well for the rest of the year. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. And let me know if you think of a goalie you want to make a bet on. Before we transition to the next part of the show... I want to make some corrections. You already corrected me just from this last segment where I said Pickard instead of Picard. Apparently, people were getting annoyed that we were mispronouncing quite a few names over the past few weeks. So this is our chance to make amends. It is David Perron, not David Perron, apparently. Perron, the more French-inflicted pronunciation. Someone said that we weren't saying Stastny correctly. I, can't, I guess I was saying Stastny, but it should be more Stastny. No, I think, I think you're still getting it wrong. It's Stastny. Oh, no T? Forget the T. Stastny. Okay. Brian, you say Evgeny Malkin sometimes, which I thought was the funniest one. And you apparently knew better, but never chose to correct me. I don't know, I just thought you were making a statement and trying to be fancy. It was like, okay, once or twice, and his nickname is Gino, and yes, your Russian wife laughed, and I felt really terrible when she did. <laughs> Next, apparently, we've been saying Yori Letera incorrectly. We've been saying Letera, and apparently it's Letera, so thank you. This is a lot of feedback, actually, we got from slash r slash fantasy hockey on reddit and the patrons we appreciate all the feedback and please just continue to let us know each name that we uh, mispronounce this will become a regular segment on the show if that's the case i promise okay next we tend to be saying andrej instead of andres like andrej also i think if you play back the tape i think it's more you okay well for everyone out there it's andre palat and the j is silent and finally brian this one i'm actually not sure of but you've been saying johnny goudreau but I always thought it was Johnny Godreau. Yeah, it looks like I'm right. It's Johnny Goudreau. Not Godreau, Goudreau. Okay, all right. Like he's a really Goudreau player. Oh, yeah. that was terrible. Terrible in a great way. And that's why we all love you on the podcast, Brian. And you know who else we love? The patrons of Keeping Carlson. I'm sure everyone knew that was coming and are groaning right now. But we do love our patrons, and I want to thank the patrons for supporting the show. These people are giving $5 a month of their hard-earned money. But 
getting some nice rewards in return. We have the Facebook group, which, you know, as more patrons join, the Facebook group just keeps getting better and better because there's more people to give advice and people are asking their fantasy hockey questions. It was really bumping last night during the heavy night of action. There was right away, I think that's actually where I learned about Jimmy Howard getting injured as I saw a message pop up on the Facebook group. Also, we have our monthly patron cast coming up this Wednesday. So you could sign up to become a patron of Keeping Carlson before Wednesday and get in on the patron cast where you could come on the show on a private patron-only show and ask your fantasy hockey questions. We will answer whatever you ask. So just a couple of reasons why you might want to check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron and i want to give a heartfelt thanks to the newest patrons of keeping carlson dan priori i guess we're probably going to need to have a segment about how i mispronounce the patrons names next david keely mark zimmerer anthony peru and leighton cressman thank you so much for your support yes really thank you and you know we have a very small and dedicated group of patrons it's nice and cozy we'd love to see that number grow even more if you really do enjoy the show and you want to have your fantasy hockey questions answered first in the facebook group before we get to twitter come on over try it out try it out just for a month if you want throw us a buck throw us five bucks whatever works for you we would really appreciate you showing your support for the show all right and to finish off the show brian we both have some sort of players of note that we want to talk about so let's go back and forth you start okay i'm gonna start on defense we'll go back to dallas we'll talk about alex goligoski a lot of pulleys have been pretty hard on him this year and we've talked about him on the show and we've been a little bit hard on him too because well we're being forced to really finally truly come to terms with the fact that he's not a 45 or 50 point guy even with that amazing supporting cast he's got in Dallas. We've actually talked on the show about how two or three different defensemen on his own team have passed him in terms of ability and opportunity to put up points. But Peppermint Butler on Reddit asked us kind of like, are we being too hard on Goligoski? So I decided to revisit that. And he actually leads the stars in even strength scoring amongst defensemen. His even strength scoring rate per 60 minutes is the highest of his career and is actually top 20 in the entire NHL amongst regular defensemen. He faces the most difficult competition on the stars, but he has solid possession numbers. For comparison's sake, Trevor Daly sees nearly identical deployment to Goligoski and does not have decent numbers. His possession numbers are in the negatives. In fact, the only advantage that Trevor Daly has over Goligoski is power play time. Daly has seen 45 more minutes than Goligoski with the man advantage. That's like 22 extra power plays. But they have the same number of points on the season. So Goligoski isn't any worse. In fact, he seems to be at about the top of his game production-wise. He's got more 5-on-5 points than Kevin Shattenkirk, Dustin Bufflin, and Justin Schultz. He's just not getting a fair shake on the power play. So Alex Goligoski, congratulations and thank you for being such a reliable, even strength point producer. We wish you all the best at getting a chance on the power play again in the near future. Yeah, again, I guess check out Daily Faceoff. I would definitely boost my opinion of Goligoski's value quite a bit if he got back on that top power play on Dallas, but we'll see if that happens. Okay, my turn, Brian. I have a name for you. Do you know that Eric Fair on Washington has six goals and three assists in his last seven games? Kind of. I mean, yes, I saw his name in box scores a lot, but I hadn't done the math. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. So I just basically want to know, you know, I actually have him as a free agent in my league and he's right wing eligible. And that's the position that I kind of am struggling at the most. So 
potentially he would be a good ad, but I just never see a reason to grab him because, you know, you look at his usage. He's playing on a line with Joel Ward and Brooks Lake on Washington. He's not on the power play, but he is putting up all of these goals and points. So am I relying too much on usage? And should I just be looking at results? Or do you think it's smart to assume he's not going to be able to keep this up? Yeah, Elon, I mean, he was taken in my league, and I think he was actually added in our joint league also. But I I don't see a ton of reason to do it. Over the entire season, he has seen the fewest offensive zone starts relative to the rest of his team. And his shooting percentage is a fair bit higher than it should be. That probably contributes to the six goals that he scored in his last seven games. I wouldn't get too crazy over Eric Fair. Do anything drastic. If you're going to drop somebody else who, like, was on a similar unsustainable run for him, then sure, go for it. See how long it lasts. But for the reasons you said, Elon, and for the reasons I just said, I'm not really thinking too hard about adding him to my team anyway. And yeah, especially since this hot streak has contained a lot of goals and, you know, this shots haven't really been there. He's basically taken two or one or zero shots in most of his games, even during this stretch. That means you can't really expect the goal production to keep up. So I agree. And, you know, sometimes it's useful to tell people not only who is good to add, but the people who, you know, are doing so well, but really are unlikely to keep it up. And I feel like if we take some of the guys we've mentioned, like Melker Carlson even, I'd rather have Melker Carlson than Eric Fair. What do you think between those two? Yeah, as long as Melker is still playing in the top six and Fair is playing in the bottom six, I'll take Melker. Although, to be honest, I wouldn't go crazy over either, but I understand that's not what you're saying. We're just pointing out that some of these guys are kind of like red herrings, right? You're going to pick them up, and then you're going to find out that there's not a whole lot more to them, and you were distracted from somebody else that might have been a better ad. I don't know what the opposite of a red herring is, so I'm just going to say my next player that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to stay on defense, and I'm going to move to somebody who I just want to give some recognition for the incredible season he's having, Kevin Shattenkirk. He is your scoring leader in points by a defenseman, and that is driven by some incredible power play success. I just talked about how good Goligoski is playing at even strength. Shattenkirk is kind of the opposite, except not like an extreme opposite. Shattenkirk is actually, he's outside the top 30 regularly playing D-men if you look at his efficiency at even strength, but he's second in the entire NHL to only Nick Foligno in his ability to convert power play minutes into points. I just want to put into context how amazing his production has been on the power play. So in the past few years, the league leader in power play point scoring efficiency amongst defensemen has put up a rate of, say, over six points per 60 minutes generally. And then that's followed by a few guys in the five point per 60 minute range and then a whole bunch in the four. Kevin Shattenkirk is putting up eight and a half points per 60 minutes with the man advantage. If he finishes the season anywhere near that mark, that's going to easily give him the highest number in the last seven or eight years, topping Marc-Andre Bergeron and Cam Barker, who both came in just under seven points per 60 minutes between 2000 and 2009. But what does this really tell us about Shattenkirk's incredibly high scoring rate on the power play? Well, I guess it actually tells us that maybe it's going to be hard to keep up for another 40 games. Right now, he's enjoying the second highest power play on a shooting percentage in the league behind only Jack Johnson. And Johnson, by the way, is also crushing those benchmarks of recent history in his scoring efficiency on the power play. 
So if you own Shattenkirk, I think I'd suggest that you enjoy the power play points while they keep coming, but remember that he's been about average at even strength. So if you wanted to be really ballsy, you could sell high on Shattenkirk for Subban or Carlson, but I don't know if I'm going ahead and recommending that you do so with the league leader in defensive scoring, although it would be a very tempting thing to do in a keeper format, Shattenkirk is a really good player, in a really good situation, seeing really good fortune in his deployment and shooting percentages. I'm happy to have him on my team. If you have him on your team, I think you should kind of just be happy to. Just take a minute to appreciate what he's been doing for you. I think I'll go ahead and recommend if you could get Carlson for Shattenkirk, I would do it. Of course, maybe I'm biased. And of course, I'm talking about Eric Carlson and not Melker. Yes. Now you need to double check the, the name before Carlson in trade offers very closely. Mm -hmm. Though if it's John Carlson, that wouldn't be too bad. He's also having a great year. He is. He's having a fantastic year. When I was looking at at scoring, he's definitely, I think, in the top five, possibly top three amongst defensemen. And we've tweeted about him, actually. I tweeted a little run about his stats and how impressive they've been over the last week. Yeah, it's crazy. John Carlson is fourth currently in defense points on the season. He's got 31 points in 41 games which is incredible. My man Eric Carlson, 29 points in 41 games. Though, if you look at the list of top defense uh, points, one thing that really jumps out is Eric Carlson has 151 shots on goal, and then the next highest in like the top 10 is 122 by Brent Burns. So I guess all I'm saying there is I have a feeling Carlson could even be doing a lot better than he's doing so far if he had a bit more luck. I agree. I agree. I think a lot of us expected more from Carlson and Subban, for that matter, And if you do have Shattenkirk, it's something to consider, or at least just consider what might happen over the next half of the season. Not that he's going to disappear completely, but if you're a little complacent in the way you've been managing your team and really riding him and you don't have a lot of other good options to support him, it might be time to start looking for those. Okay, and for my next player, I'm also sticking with defense. I want to talk about David Savard on Columbus, because last week we gave a lot of time to Kevin Connaughton, who was doing really well and, you know, still doing pretty well. But David Savard is also a defenseman on that team. They have four producing defensemen at the moment, you know, Savard, Connaughton, and then Wisniewski and Jack Johnson. All four of them are getting around the same amount of power play time. And the reason I want to mention David Savard is, yes, he has three points in his last four games, but also he had a game against Toronto last week where he had 10 hits. And, you know, he's consistently been putting up three, four. There was a game with seven, a game with five. So he's putting up a lot of hits. So if you're in a league that counts hits, he could be a good ad because he's going to give you the hits and also is getting decent usage and putting up some points. He had good offensive success with Springfield in the AHL before becoming a full-time NHLer. And I think he was expected to be able to continue that when he came to the NHL that really hasn't necessarily been the case and he's also gotten a reasonable look at power play time also for the Blue Jackets so far this season but he can put up a couple points here and there and Elon if he's putting up 10 hits a game in your league counts as that is well invaluable but he's not doing it every game right no of course not but he definitely is putting up consistent hits Two is the lowest he gets sometimes, but he's generally two, three, five, seven. Looks like about two and a half a game on average over the 40 games he's played so far this year. Yeah, for sure. If you look over the course of the entire season, he doesn't seem as exciting. I guess I'm looking at what David Savard has done recently. And yeah, I guess that's the thing with fantasy hockey. You know, you want to maybe grab someone like him to ride it out while he is getting time on the power play. And I guess uh, an increased number of hits and we'll see where it goes. 
probably he and Kevin Connaughton both won't be uh, players listed as our MVPs by the end of the year. Somebody who was getting a little MVP hype really early on in the year and has tailed off since though, Jonathan Quick. We talk about Quick at the beginning of the season as a goalie who's like maybe an average goalie on a really good team in LA and that's why we liked him to add to your fantasy team. He's in a sound system, a strong possession team. But he actually surprised us all really early on this season because LA was doing terribly possession-wise. They were having uncharacteristic issues And Quick was managing really well. He had a 943 save percentage in the first month of the season. But something strange has happened. Now that the Kings have sorted out their possession issues, in fact, they lead the league with an incredible 57.7% score-adjusted Corsi 4 since December 1st. Quick has gone the other way since December 1st. His save percentage is a miserable 886. It's been all downhill for him since that fantastic start that had us wondering if he was actually better than we all gave him credit for. And you can actually see that downward slope literally illustrated if you look at a graph showing his 10 game rolling save percentage over at War on Ice. So let's just say that's your Jonathan Quick update. I don't think you're about to use this information to try and trade him away or swing a deal with his owner to buy low. But of course, react accordingly if you can. And this is just sort of like a need-to-know thing. You need to keep an eye on Jonathan Quick for the rest of the season. If you own him, he's probably your number one goalie. If he continues to falter, you're going to need to consider beefing up your number two and three spots. Although again, this is coming from somebody with Tuka Rask in the number one spot who has done barely anything to beef up the number two and three spots while he has struggled. And hey, you know, don't underestimate the chance of buying low on a slumping goalie. Like it depends who his owner is. It depends on what type of league you're in. But why not go to the Jonathan Quick owner in your league and be like, man, this guy sucks right now. And Yoni Ordio had a 36 save shutout yesterday against Vancouver. So why don't we swing a deal? Congratulations, Elon. You nailed that pronunciation. (laughs) And on that note, Brian, we are at the end of the program. I feel like there's still so many players, you know, that are emerging and that are worth talking about. Good thing we have an extra episode this week. So for the patrons, you know, we've got our patron cast on Wednesday where we'll you know, have a couple of days to think about other players we didn't mention that we'll talk about then. Also, for sure, like I said before, you know, you come in with your questions. So we're very excited for the patron cast on Wednesday. Also, I always love to mention that if you end up making any moves based on things you've heard on this week's show, whether they work out or, you know, let's say if you have made moves in the past that didn't work out, we definitely would like to hear from you. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if what we're saying is influencing any of your decisions. And of course, you know, follow us on Twitter if you haven't yet, because like yesterday for for example, it was really fun watching all of Brian's tweets. I am actually a big fan of the Keeping Carlson Twitter account. I only go on there every once in a while. Mainly, I'm just a watcher myself. And of course, if you wanted to do us a favor, you could head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review. And with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. It was done with research from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Behind the Net, Hockey Reference for their amazing pronunciation keys, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Man, this season is breezing by. I can't believe we're already more than halfway through. And Brian, looking forward to talking to you on the Patreon cast on Wednesday, and we'll do this all again next week. Until then, Elon and everybody, please continue to keep on keeping Eric Carlson. And maybe Melker one day.